In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear faithful, the season of Advent has now reached its halfway point of Gaudete Sunday, the Sunday on which we are urged to rejoice. It's likely that a large number of us have not even paused, or barely, for a moment to consider truly the beauty and the mystery of this season. We could sometimes get so caught up in our quote-unquote little world of of our resolutions, which are indeed good and even necessary for our advancement in holiness. But if we think only of this season in terms of some particular aspect of our sanctification, some virtue we hope to make progress in, then our appreciation of this venerable season remains severely compromised. It's important to insist on this note of mystery of Advent. It is all about the mystery of the coming of our Lord, a coming which is both one, simple, and threefold. It is only ever Christ who comes, and therefore it is a simple coming. His coming is one. But at the same time, we find that he comes to us in three different ways and at three different times. St. Bernard of Clairvaux teaches us that the first coming of Christ was, of course, his coming in the flesh, in the weakness of a tiny baby in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. In his second coming, he comes in spirit and in power, and in the third, he comes in glory and in majesty. This is to say that in his first coming, he was born into this world in the flesh, and in the second, he comes to us in our souls, by the gifts of his graces, by the indwelling of the Holy Trinity, when we are in a state of grace. In the third coming, he will come to pronounce the general judgment, solemnly and before all, of the entire world. We're now living in the era of his second coming, provided that we live in accord with his precepts. Remember, he told us that if we love him, he will come to us, he will abide in us. We have to admit that the second coming we speak of here, that of Christ's presence in our souls, is a matter of great uncertainty for us in purely objective terms. For in effect, who except the Holy Ghost knows beyond any shadow of a doubt who is in a state of grace? We see here the the need of a great distrust of self, but combined with a great confidence in God. Those who truly love virtue and are willing to put to death the movements of the flesh for the desire of God and heavenly bliss they already know this second coming of Christ in their souls. The third coming of Christ is very certain in one sense and very uncertain in another. For nothing is more certain than this fact. One day, each of us will die. When that day comes, on the other hand, is completely unknown to us. Usually, 
Those who manage to convince themselves that they have finally achieved peace and security are the first to be surprised by this unwelcome visitor of a sudden death. Just as a woman with child can never be sure when the pains will strike. So we see that the first coming of Christ was peaceful, was humble and obscure, hidden away in Bethlehem. The second is mysterious, it's full of love. And the third, which will come at the end of the world and result in the destruction of, of the world, will be majestic and terrible. For in his first coming, Christ was judged unjustly and by unjust men. In his second, he justifies us by his grace. And in the third, he will judge all things and all persons with perfect justice. In his first coming, he's the gentle lamb. In his last, he's the lion in between. Now, he is the dearest friend of our souls. It is therefore during the season of Advent that Holy Mother Church awaits the mystery of his first coming, as the infant of Bethlehem. The longings for the Messiah expressed by the Church in her prayers are not a simple commemoration of the longings of the ancient Jewish people before the historical birth of Christ. They have a real efficacy, all their own. From all eternity, in fact, the prayers of the ancient Jews and those of the church ascended together before the throne of God, and it was after receiving and granting them that he sent the dew upon the earth, which caused it to bud forth a savior. These words of the prophet Isaiah from the 45th chapter, verse eight, which are so often chanted during this blessed season, drop down dew, ye heavens, and let the earth bud forth a savior. They express this desire. The church also aspires to the second coming of our Lord as a consequence of the first. And this takes place each year on the feast of Christmas when the new birth of the Son of God delivers us from the bondage of the devil. The church always prays, therefore, during Advent, that she would be visited by Christ, her heavenly bridegroom, and in every aspect of her existence. She prays that the members of the hierarchy would be strengthened in the discharge of their office and in the teaching of the Catholic faith handed down from the apostles. She prays that her members would be visited by Christ, both the living and the dead, and that even those who are not yet in communion with his church, infidels, pagans, that these too would be visited by Christ and receive the grace of conversion. The church asks for this threefold coming of Christ because had he only come once, 2,000 years ago, but no longer did, were he to no longer come to each of us today at every moment of our lives. His coming in the flesh would have been in vain. And yet this annual coming of Christ at Christmas 
isn't enough. The church is not satisfied by it. She sighs after his third coming. That which will come at the end of the world. Judgment Day. The Apocalypse. The church longs to see her deliverer and her spouse, her savior, Christ the Lord, arriving upon the clouds in majesty and in judgment. This is the sense of these words from the book of the Apocalypse. The nuptials of the Lamb are come, and his wife hath prepared herself. But this longing for Christ does not change the nature of his third and final coming. It will be a day of terror, a day at which the church trembles, because all mankind will be tried. The elect will be separated from the reprobate. It will be a day of wrath, on which everything will be reduced to ashes. The church, of course, does not fear for herself, per se, on this day because she knows that this will be the day of her vindication and being forever delivered from evil. It will be the day of her glorious crowning. But her maternal heart is overcome with the thought, this sorrowful thought, that so many of her children will be found on the left hand of the judge destined to eternal punishment, bound hand and foot, and sent off where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is why the Liturgy of Advent during, during this season so frequently speaks of his coming as a terrible coming, and why she employs language in her prayers which is the most calculated to shake us from our torpor, our false sense of security, and ignite a salutary fear in our hearts. On this day, Gaudete Sunday, as it is traditionally called, the words of St. John the Baptist remind us there, that there is one coming after him who is greater than him. Indeed, he is already coming to us, even this very moment in the grace of conversion that he is pouring forth in our hearts. That is truly why we rejoice on this Sunday. May we therefore heed his call without delay.